And Lord, as we come into the presence of God tonight in an awesome way, shut that for me. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the power of the word of God to go forth tonight in glory and power and strong anointing, that everything will be accomplished in and through this that you will to be done. Lord, we submit this time unto you. We resist. We bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder, distract, resist, oppress this word in any way. We commit to be bound and go from this place in Jesus' name. And everyone here and anyone that's going to be watching, but I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit moving upon us to give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, anointed eyes and ears of the Spirit. As you speak through me, everything that needs to be said tonight, that everything will be accomplished in and through this, that your will be done, and the winds of your Spirit carried everywhere it needs to go. We thank you for hearing answering the prayers over these services and sermons. In Jesus' name we pray, we believe it, we expect it. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Well, I'm dealing with part five, so I can't recap too much. So if the concept of blessings and curses is new to you, um, I can't go back and cover too much. But uh, let me open with Proverbs 18.21. This is, this is part of what blessings and curses are, but it's not the whole. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And that's kind of what I want to focus on tonight. We've already covered a lot of information. Blessings and curses are very real, very powerful. And it's like a, a blessing can be on a person, kind of like Joseph's coat of many colors. You don't see it, but it's there. And that blessing has come. It can come from God. It comes from authority figures. There's such thing as generational blessings. But however that got on a person, that blessing is on them and it influences everywhere that they go and all the people they come in contact with. It will open doors for them. It'll turn things in their favor. Um, the opposite of that is a curse. A curse over somebody's life will work against them. It also will influence everywhere they go. The people that they're around the situations they come into, the workplace, whatever, it's constantly working against a person. However, that curse came. might have come because of their sin. It can come because of mouths that speak it, and it can travel down family bloodlines. And so that's all I have time to say, to recap, if you will, on blessings and curses. But they're very powerful. And as I talked about last week and the week before, they can carry on from generation to generation sometimes even hundreds and even thousands of years. And you remember the example of the 3,000-year-old curse from King David on Mount Gilboa that's still at work today in Israel. So it can carry on for a long time. And so how do we release blessings? This is important tonight because this is going to kind of maybe close out this series of, you know, part five. I might do one more. But how do you release a blessing? Well, tonight, at the end of this, I'm going to have my father release a blessing. But a blessing is simply released by faith, okay? And as I talked about in previous sermons, it can come by something spoken. A blessing can come by touch, like an impartation of a blessing. But it's, a, it's something that is placed on a person. You guys remember at the conference, Brother John Davis, such an honor to have him. And he stood up here and released a blessing over us and over, of course, Prepare the Way was here with us. And, but there was an, it was an invoking of a, a male authority figure standing in that office of authority. 
as a covering to us in many ways, as a spiritual father in many ways to Sandy and I, but release that blessing like a spiritual father's blessing and how powerful it is all the time. I mean, I hope we don't take for granted, you know, my father here speaking a blessing over us. And as a pastor standing in that office of a pastor, I try to speak a blessing over the church as much as I can. So blessings are powerful, but curses are very powerful as well. And I wonder sometimes, you know, you can take, and I'm going to try to say this the right way, you can take a really good kid and put them in a really bad environment, and it can really damage them, and them turn out not well in life. And one of the, one of the examples of a bad environment would be having authority figures over them always cursing them, speaking that they're idiots, they'll never amount to anything, things like that, just cursing them. That not only will wither their little spirit and cause them to be insecure, but it's a lot more than that. Those words have power to follow them and try to cause those negative things, you see. So in the same way, you can take a kid that may be a troubled kid that has a rebellious tendency, kind of difficult, and you can put them in a really good environment where they're raised, and they'll turn out well. Because, same thing, this is one thing, not, not the whole, but if you'll have people in authority that will put blessings on them. And I'm not talking about positive reinforcing speech. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about just praying for them, even though that's important. I'm not talking about just prophesying. That's important, too. I'm talking about that you place on them a blessing. What did Jesus do with the little children that came to him? He didn't pray for them, and he didn't prophesy over them. He blessed them. You see. So there is putting a blessing on somebody, and that blessing comes on them like a garment, and it will follow them. And they don't really understand it. There's a mystery about blessings and curses. It's something that traffics in the realm of the unseen, and here in America where we, you know, one of the bondages I think in America is not only pride and, and great rebellion, but one of the bondages is like to a scientific type mindset that you have to see it to believe it. And you have to prove it scientifically to believe it. You see, that's not going to work in the realm of the Bible, okay? This is something that traffics in the realm of the unseen. But blessings are awesome, powerful. Now, I'm just going to give you a couple things as... I'm not going to dwell too long because I want to, you know, release a blessing tonight. But blessings are released by faith. Just like we pray by faith and you believe that you have received it. When the Bible says that you pray according to God's will, if you do, you know that he hears you. If he hears you, you know that you have what you ask. So there's an aspect of praying and believing that you have received it. And then after that, you believe in your heart and you speak faith out of your mouth that it's happening. You're calling things that are not as though they were. And as you believe and speak, mountains move. That's prayer and that's faith, okay? In a similar way, you release blessings by faith. And you receive blessings by faith. And then you walk out blessings in faith. So you may receive a blessing but if you live a life where you expect negative 
you're a pessimistic person, you expect the negative, and you always speak a negative, it's going to hinder those blessings in your life from really fully manifesting. Does that make sense? So not only do you release blessings by faith, you receive them by faith, but you have to daily walk them out and believe that you're blessed. You see, the mindset should be this. I may go through all kinds of what, this, that, and the other in life, okay, whatever, but I am blessed, and regardless of whatever trial may come my way, it will ultimately turn in my good and in my favor. And so I want you to see some things in, in the Scriptures. Again, this is the fifth part, so I, there's a lot of things I could say, but we have to move on. So the power of blessings, I want you to see this. Now, Abraham was blessed by God in every way. So every area of Abraham's life was blessed. His health, mentally, emotionally, uh, financially, he became very wealthy. Relationally, he was blessed. Uh, his seed was blessed, okay? His Isaac was blessed. God even blessed Esau. I'm sorry, God even blessed rather Ishmael. So there, every area of Abraham's life was blessed. I could go back through that, but we've covered it. But I want to show you tonight the power of this blessing following him around. Do you remember the story when Abraham ended up going to Egypt? And God had so blessed Sarah that even though she was well over the age of 75, 85, 90, whatever at the time they went to Egypt, she was older, that God had so blessed her that her youth was being renewed to where a heathen king who could have anybody in all of Egypt and beyond wanted her to be in his harem. So they end up taking Sarah, and she's with Pharaoh, and what happened? You remember? God said, I will bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. Abraham, the blessing on Abraham caused a plague to break out in Pharaoh's house. Are y'all remembering this story? Now, because that broke out and it was working against Pharaoh, Pharaoh ends up not touching Sarah, rather returns her back. So the negative situation turns in Abraham's favor, but not only does he get his wife back in an impossible situation normally, he also, Pharaoh says, look, load up a bunch of goods and throw this wealth at him and tell him to leave. <laughs> so not only does Abraham have a negative situation turn around in his favor, he ends up being so blessed with wealth that he goes out of Egypt with like the spoils of Egypt, so to speak. Do you see how a blessing turned it? And it happened again later on. There was another king that did not know that Sarah was Abraham's wife and took her, and then uh, it broke out and all that. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's an interesting thing to see how this turns um, situations that are negative in your favor, okay? Also, I want you to remember the story of Balaam. Balak was hired, uh, hired Balaam, rather, to come and curse Israel. But Israel was blessed of God. And as long as Israel was living obedient and doing right, these, it was impossible for Satan's servants to really truly curse Israel under those conditions. And so we know if you read the whole story and study the whole thing out, you know that, um, that Balaam ends up teaching Midian and Moab and those women, teaching the leaders to send their, the women, young women in there to seduce Israel. And then in sin, 
you know, God judges them. But I want you to think about this. When you're blessed of God and you're walking right before him, even though the enemy may have people trying to curse you, it cannot affect you. It won't be able to stick, okay? All right. And then also, I want to bring out some other things about blessings. Many people have wrestled curses, and God wants you to be free from that. But there's, there's a principle here as well. So even though the story of Jacob and Esau that went to Isaac to be blessed, and you remember how Jacob stole the blessing from Esau? It was through trickery. We know the story. My point in this is very simple. Whenever Esau came in before Isaac and said, could you bless me? Isaac said, I've already blessed your brother and there's nothing that I can do now. He's blessed. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Once that blessing came on Jacob, it was there from now on. And his father understood that. Did y'all catch what I just said? Once somebody really receives a blessing, it's with you. And that blessing followed Jacob, and it turned things in his favor. Even though Laban used him and all of that, at the end of the day, when Jacob left, he went there with nothing. When Jacob left, he left very wealthy. You see, it turned in his favor. So that's the power of a blessing, that once it comes, it's there from now on. Did you know also that in this unseen realm of the spirit realm where blessings and curses traffic and affect things, did you know that angels, angels enforce blessings? Let me say it again. Angels enforce blessings. Just like demonic spirits enforce curses. If there's a curse, demonic spirits are at work, they're trying to push that through and make things happen against the person. But if there's blessings on a person, the angels will enforce those blessings. We know also that angels help to enforce prayers being answered and they help enforce true prophecies to come to pass. Do you remember the story? There was a, I'll just give you a quick example about how angels enforce prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, there's a lot of different examples in Scripture, like in the days of Hezekiah and many others, but just one that's really well known. We all know that it was prophesied, even from the Garden of Eden, that Jesus would come. It was also prophesied that there would be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. Isn't it interesting that Gabriel was there to make sure that all of that was going to happen, just like the prophets spoke? Do you all remember that? He shows up to Zechariah in the temple and says, your wife, Elizabeth is going to conceive, and you see, he was there to make sure that prophecy was fulfilled. Then he goes to Mary and says, you're going to be with child. And so there's angels that enforce. How many feel like you have some prophetic words over your life that you truly feel are legitimately from God? Okay, they may not happen tomorrow. Sometimes the outworking of them can be many years. But I promise you, if it's from God, And if you're in faith about it, the angels of the Lord are just as interested in making sure that God's purposes are fulfilled as you are. 
And they're going to help make sure that God's will is done. Because if it's a true prophetic word, then it's God's will. And if you're praying the will of God, and you're praying God's purposes, I promise you those angels are interested in enforcing God's purposes. You're praying for your lost loved ones. What you don't see in the realm of the unseen is those angels making sure that the enemy is kept off them. So angels enforce blessings. They're a part of this process. They're a part of turning impossible situations around, making things happen that shouldn't happen, but it's going to end up in your favor. And let me just encourage people, if you could please, if there's anything in this series I've covered, if you could please hear this, because I, I talked to you about that book, Blessings and Curses You Can Choose by Derek Prince, and I talked to you about Redeeming Your Bloodline by Cyril But I would say this for those that follow our ministry, because there's many through podcast and Vimeo that follow this ministry around the nation, around the world. Make sure that you really pray about these things, not just for your sake, but for the sake of your children and your grandchildren. Think about what I'm saying. Make sure that you deal with it in your generation, because if you don't deal with it, you're going to leave a battle for them to face. Let us deal with it in our generation. And so last week I couldn't get into this. I'm, I'm going to deal with some things briefly. But how many knows God has called us to preach the whole counsel of God? And so I want to talk for a few moments where I left off last week. And I'm going to deal with some ritualistic type curses and things that are sent against God's people. And I'm going to deal with cursed objects and cursed houses, etc. just things like that. This is a little bit different. This is some things a lot of times you're probably not going to hear too many places. But it's in the Bible, and we need to know. And so one of the things I want to mention, this is exactly where I left off last week, was this. Curses that are sent in the spirit realm by Satan's servants. So I know you know the story about Balaam, which I've already mentioned. Now, Balak hires Balaam. What was Balaam? Balaam was basically what we would call like a witch doctor or a medicine man or some kind of a shaman. He was some type of a occult practitioner who was a religious leader of sorts. And he was a man, as far as the occult goes, the dark arts, he was somebody that was quite powerful in the realm of the occult to the degree that kings referenced him and wanted to pay good money to have him come and do things because they knew it was effective. And Paul mentioned in the Bible, and he mentioned Janus and Jambres. Do you remember that? In, in regards to Pharaoh's magicians, he named them. And in Hebrew writing, Janus and Jambres was actually the two sons of Balaam. And they were a part of Pharaoh's uh, magicians there. So Balaam, it wasn't just Balaam. It was also his sons that were practitioners of the dark arts, okay? And he was somebody who was pretty powerful. And so Balak hires him and wants to give him good money to come and curse Israel, which I've already mentioned this, but God would not allow it. But my point in this, just to make this point and move on, is that God did not consider it something to simply be laughed at or ignored. 
God considered it serious enough to send an angel to block him. And God considered it serious enough to threaten him. Did y'all just hear what I said? If, it, if there was nothing to this, if it was just one big joke, it probably wouldn't even be in the Bible to begin with. But God certainly would have just laughed at it and ignored it. Why is it that God threatened him and says, let me tell you, buddy, you better say what I tell you to say and nothing else. And he said, and then God sent an angel and that donkey saw that angel. And that angel was there when Balaam saw it. That angel basically said this, if I could paraphrase, I'm here to kill you. And Balaam straightened up and said, oh, okay, well, I will only say what God tells me to say, you know. But I'll tell you something. There's just along these lines too, Balaam was one of those that even though he was a practitioner of the dark arts, he obviously could hear from God. It's a scary thing, but I've seen this in the body of Christ every once in a while. There's some people out there that there's a real mixture in their life of hearing from God and communing with something that's not of God. Hello? And you try to tell them and they don't want to hear it. But anyway, so Balaam, that God shows us in this story that God took it serious and God dealt with it. Number two, there was an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 3 that you can look this up for yourself and read it. This was in the days of Elisha, many years later. And again, it's interesting that it's Moab. Moab was kind of known for witchcraft, but Moab was, Israel came up with some other kings and their military to attack Moab. And Elisha basically told him, you'll be successful. And so they were going to fight Moab. And when they attacked Moab, Moab was being defeated. So y'all please hear what I'm saying. This is in 2 Kings 3. You can go home and read it. For the sake of time, I can't read these long stories. But Moab was being defeated. And so the king of Moab at this time was scared because he knew that he was about to be killed. And so the Bible says that he took his firstborn son who was going to succeed him as the king of Moab and takes him up there on this wall and basically, he performs human sacrifice and kills his son unto the prince and the principality or whatever over Moab. And he was human sacrifice to his demon gods to step in and help him, basically. Well, here's what the Bible says. Read it for yourself. Go back and read it in the Hebrew. Study it out. The Bible does not say that this was some kind of a big joke and just laughs it off. The Bible says when he did that, great wrath was released against Israel that day. That sacrifice, that bloodshed empowered spiritual forces of darkness against Israel. And then it said that Israel withdrew and went home. So that human sacrifice did have some kind of an effect. And in the Bible, it's really interesting to see that there was both the physical and the spiritual. Israel understood this. Israel understood when they conquered Canaan that they were fighting a physical and a spiritual battle at the same time. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? They understood that they were defeating physical people, but Israel also understood that it was like their God versus the gods of the Canaanites throughout the land. And that's the way it was viewed. 
And among this intertribal warfare, if you will, in Canaan and other parts of the world, it was very common that the, tri- the, the different nations coming up against each other, they would view it as their God versus your God. And also at the same time, their military versus your military. But they, they felt it was both a physical and a spiritual conflict. Are y'all hearing me? That's why you read about in Goliath when he stood there and he's a Philistine and he's taunting Israel. And when David comes, it says that he cursed David. See, it was very common for these superstitious Canaanites and many other nations, mind you, to try to release some kind of a curse over their enemy to weaken them down so that they could overcome them. They understood that there was a spiritual battle. But how many knows that Goliath couldn't curse David because David was blessed? And Goliath tried to curse him. And David said, you know what? This day, the birds are going to be eating your flesh, and I'm going to be taking your head off. And that's exactly what David did. So just understand that this, this whole realm of spiritual warfare the clash between these principalities. There's what you're dealing with between these nations was each nation had like a principality over it, okay, that they worshiped, that they prayed to, that they shed blood to, that they gave offerings to. And they, they would summon that deity to go to war with them, you see. There was this clash. And so the Bible doesn't belittle that there is curses released from Satan's servants But it does show us as Christians to be aware of it and that we can certainly be victorious over it and be protected from it. You know why God, when he sent Abraham out from the Ur of the Chaldees in the very middle of the Middle East, and he's told him, he said, go to the land I'm going to show you. That's the land of Canaan. God said this to Abraham. He said, I will be with you and I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. God put on Abraham a blessing that was on him like a garment. Everywhere that Abraham went, he was blessed. Now, why did God put a blessing on Abraham? Because he wanted Abraham to be protected. You see, when somebody's truly blessed, the enemy has an extremely difficult time coming up against them because everything's going to end up turning in their favor eventually. And there's an element there of great protection that comes from being blessed. And so keep that in mind that there are people out there that target Christians and churches with witchcraft and curses and such, no doubt about it. We know that. And there is a, the Bible doesn't say it's without power. It does have some power and effectiveness. But if we understand it, the Bible makes it very clear that we can be totally protected in Christ under his blood and we can destroy it and we can bind the enemy and send him flying and not to be afraid of it, but just be aware of it, that it does circulate and go on, you see. I remember during the Brownsville revival many times, that was probably where I was most exposed to revival and also the spiritual warfare. But man, they regularly, and we've had, my wife and I have also had some pretty bizarre things I don't want to get into right now. But Brownsville saw, you know, these witches would come from New Orleans. Here they come, man. They'd sit on the back row, whatever. 
they had their little rattles. They'd be back there doing their little incantation, little rattles and chanting and cursing. You know what it amounted to? Nothing. Why? Because the power of God greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. In Brownsville, listen, Brownsville understood spiritual authority, just like I'm talking about here. They didn't take it lightly. They understood it was going on, and they took authority over it, and they drove it out. <clears throat> Let me say before I move on, I'm trying to be... So there is somehow this got out there. I don't know where it started. I'm just trying to tell people that you can't just ignore things. And there's a group out there of people that are kind of in a revival circle that must not have a lot of knowledge about spiritual warfare. But let me just warn you that if you guys, some of you too old, I'm too young to see, but back in the day, Bugs Bunny, anybody ever seen him? Do you remember when, uh, it might have been a different cartoon, but it was like these cartoons, and then in it, you know, somebody was supposedly get killed in the cartoon. Next thing you know, they're on like a cloud, and they got their little harp. It was funny. Okay, it was funny. All right, well, this is what they believe, I guess. They think that all of us are just going to sit around our little cloud, and we got our little harp, and we can just worship all the time, and the enemy's just going to go away. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the case? Let's start passing out harps, man. This just, you know... Yeah, we're just all going to sit around and just sing. Everything's going to, he'll just ignore him, and it, everything's just going to be fine. I mean, it's laughable, but they really believe it. And if you try to tell me any different, they'll get mad. So there is an element here that we're in a conflict. And we have, what does the Bible say? In the days of John, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent taken by force. That's certainly not physical violence, but it is a spiritual violence. That means that we take the gates of hell. And again, when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, I've said this many times lately, that doesn't mean we're sitting back here with our shields up, getting beat up, but we're, we're just not going to give up this gate we got. You know, it's not like that. The picture is, is that we are going to the gates of hell and we're taking them down, you see. That's the picture in the Greek. And so there is an element here of warfare but the warfare is something that we've got to be offensive about. We've got to take authority over. All right, so here's a couple quick things. I'm going to move rather quickly because I think River of Life already knows this. This is more for the sake of those maybe that haven't heard it. Um, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 7.26, it talks about different things that are occult, but it says, do not bring a cursed object into your home or you like it will be cursed. So did you know you can bring a curse upon yourself by bringing cursed objects into your life? And so those that are practitioners of the dark arts, the occult, will carry things, they call them like a talisman or something, something worn, something that they carry in their pocket, a jewelry, but something that's supposed to bring them luck and power and protection, etc. How many knows that it doesn't really bring luck, power, and protection? Actually, it brings a curse on them. And the only thing that's going to be moving around in their life to cause something supposedly good is going to be demonic spirits. So also, though, you've got to be careful as a Christian to be very careful about what you have in your house. Because if you go and you bring things into your property, maybe you go to other countries or maybe you go to certain stores and they have occult objects, things like pentagrams and goat's heads and certain occult books, books, occult books, okay, things that, that are used in dark practices and also other religions, little statues of 
Hindu gods, etc. And you start bringing this stuff into your home, you don't realize that you're bringing a curse into your home. And it's, it's likely, it's likely that you're going to open the door for spirits to come into your home. And these type of things, okay, just like, for example, there's, there's certain, you remember the Apostle Paul, let me try to explain this. The Apostle Paul, handkerchiefs and aprons were brought to him. Remember this in Acts 19. The anointing, the power of God, the glory of God, somehow got in that handkerchief, apron, whatever, and was sent out because in those days, there wasn't vehicles. It would have been hard for a sick person to travel. It would have been hard for, certainly for a demonized person. And so Paul, they, he prayed over them or whatever, sent them out. And in that was a blessing. Y'all hearing me? There was an anointing in that. And so, having to have cloth up here, so there was somehow an anointing and even a blessing that got in that. And it says, the Bible says, when they took it back home, and they took it and put it on the diseased person or the one that had demonic spirits, they were healed and delivered. Why? Because somehow a blessing traveled through a garment, okay? In the same way, there are certain things that have like a satanic anointing and a curse on it. And it acts like a lightning rod. How many of you guys have ever seen a lightning rod? I mean, it just draws lightning up, you know, it, to it because of its height and its metal or whatever. It, it acts like a lightning rod in the house that attracts demonic entities to that dwelling. So just be really careful. Be careful about what you bring in your home. Be careful about whether it be the movies or shows or video games, whatever. Be careful. Be selective because if you bring things in that has witchcraft and occult practices in it, it's dark, it's satanic, or it's sexually explicit, it can open the door for evil spirits. If somebody wants a demon in their house, a good way to go about it is to watch pornography in that house, I'm just telling you. So I could go on, but you get the idea. Just be careful because you open the door through explicit sexual material to demonic spirits of like lust and perversion. There was a, I, I, I got so many stories. I'm trying to stay on track here, but I remember I'll give one. There was a lady, one time that came to me, I was preaching along these lines. I was talking about homes, and, and she came up to me in confidence. She was a young lady, I would guess probably between 25 to 30. I was ministering at a particular church, and afterwards she came up to me in private, and she said, Brother Scott, can I talk to you? He said, listen, I heard what you were saying tonight, and she said, I, I think that you need to pray for me. She said, I moved into this apartment. And she said, I found out later on that before this apartment, who was living there, but she said, I started sleeping in this apartment. And she said, I started really having trouble sleeping. I began to have sexually explicit dreams I've never had before. And she said, and not to mention, she said, I began to have weird homosexual type dreams and things that I've never, ever had in my life. And she said, I was wondering what in the world could be going on. Then I found out that there were two lesbians that rented this apartment before me. They had allowed evil, perverted spirits in that apartment. So what do you do? Well, what you can do is apply the blood of Jesus and walk through and begin to pray over it. 
You can anoint it with oil because now you're a Christian and you have authority there. You're, you have a legal right to be there. You're renting the place. Lord, I bring this place under the blood. I ask forgiveness for all the sin, all the sexual perversions, any, any occult stuff, anything that's been in this apartment before me. If there's been illicit drug activity, if there's been ungodly parties, whatever's been here that's defiled this place, I ask you to forgive me, Lord. Forgive this, just cleanse this place. And I command anything of the devil to get out of here in the name of Jesus and bring that place under the blood and drive the enemy out. And then what do you do? You can anoint the place and begin to play powerful worship in that place, begin to make it a place of prayer. Don't just leave a void. Begin to saturate that place in the glory of God. Begin to quote script. And once you can drive the enemy out, and then you can bring in such a presence of God that you can come home after work and walk in and feel, wow, it feels peaceful. The glory feels like God's here in this place, you know. So you can shift the atmosphere spiritually. And so that kind of dovetails right into this next point. Make sure you get all cursed objects out, destroy them, get rid of them. And it, let me say along those lines, anything that would be Freemasonic, anything associated with other religions, just make sure and get all that off your property and destroy it. Okay? All right. Now, leprosy in the house. Leviticus 14. I can't read it, but you can go home and read it. So the Hebrew, the Midrash teaches this is interesting. So we see in the Bible, Moses, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel, when you go into the land, I'm going to give you houses what you didn't build. I'm going to give you wells you what didn't dig. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant, right? So they were going into this heathen nation, and what type of houses were they moving into? Heathens, right? Yeah, houses they didn't build, heathen houses. These were people that worshiped demon gods. And so the Midrash, the, the Jewish writings, kind of explained some of this and said that in the land of Canaan, these people were superstitious, so they worshiped these demon gods, and they would take their silver and gold or whatever, and they would melt it down and try to fashion it into an image of their demon god they worship. For example, the Philistines was like this fishhead god of Dagon, okay, etc. So they would try to fashion it down, and they kept it in their house. And when they heard that the children of Israel were coming and Joshua was leading them, they knew how God destroyed the economy of Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. They knew how the God of Joshua, the God of the Hebrews, had sent all those plagues, all those firstborn died. It said they heard about this. So they were scared. And so what they did was, as a superstitious act to protect them, they took their little demon gods that they made and put them in the wall or maybe buried it underground as a protection, not only as a protection, but also they thought to themselves, we may have to flee, and then our military will defeat Joshua. Then we can come back to our house, and they won't know where my gold is, and I'll be able to find it again, you see. But God didn't want Israel living in some heathen house with a demon god in it. Hello? And so God told him in Leviticus 14, if you, when you move into the land... If you see that I have put a leprosy in that house, a leprosy could have come upon it. Obviously, it was a spiritual thing. Trust me, it was more than just a 
physical, even if you read the symptoms, it was obvious that this thing in the Bible called metzora that we translate leprosy was something spiritual. He said, if this comes upon a person, then God talks about if it comes into a house. And God even says, if it comes into like a garment. But in regards to a house, he said, if you see in your house that was built by demon worshipers, these were pagans, these were heathens, you're living in that house. If I put green and red streaks running up the wall, he said, you need to go get the priest. So the sons of Aaron would come out to that house and they would take something, kind of like a, some kind of a, a sharper type object and they would go in and they would scrape it off the wall and they would get it together and they would gather it up and they would take it out. They would pray over the house and bless it, etc. And then they would shut it up, and if they came back, if it, was, if it came back again, even worse, and it was depressed down in the wall, then God said basically that there's something there. I'm trying to show you there's something there. And so the priest then would have to go in, and they would have to get out their chisel, and they would begin to break open the mortar they would take out chunk by chunk, looking in there. And sure enough, I imagine many times they found a demon god in there, okay? But they would take it apart, and then they would cleanse it. They would put new stones there, plaster it again. They would go and shut it up, quarantine or whatever. If they came back again and it spread again, then God said that house is unclean. You can't live in it. Just tear the whole house down and start over. Why? Because God didn't, God, listen, God saw something they didn't. God knew that there was something spiritually off there. And he was trying to show them through the green and red streaks, he was trying to show them that it was spiritually contaminated. This isn't something that your Lysol or whatever is going to be able to scrub down this is something spiritual that would have to be dealt with spiritually, you see. So you've got to go through, and when you see that God shows you something, there was this true story. This family, Christian family, had moved into a home, and once they got in that home, all kinds of hell broke loose. And they, they ended up contacting a, a minister because it was so bad they could not get the victory. And... Um, there were other stories, those, those of us that minister about these type of subjects, people contact us because they realize, hey, you know, this person knows that this is real and I need help, and they contact us, talk to us about things. But anyway, there's other stories like this where, you know, they found out that something was in the home, something in, in their possession, they told them to get rid of it, and then it cleared up. But this particular family, they went through the home, they prayed, they searched it, they could not find anything that was some kind of a demon god, some type of idol, anything that would be connected to, to something that would open the door to the enemy. They prayed over the property, they did everything they could, but I mean, it's, it was like, it was warfare. I mean, their health, their night's rest, their relationships, they were fighting uh, torment, they didn't understand it, and out of a desperation, they were on a, like a fast. They were really crying out to God. And they were walking down in the basement praying. And I don't remember if it was the husband or the wife, but was standing and said, we're going to rip up this carpet right here. They ripped up the carpet 
And in the foundation of the home itself, the foundation, was a huge pentagram that was carved into the actual foundation that found out later that the people that built it were like Satanists or witches or somebody, and they put it there and wanted it there. So they end up realizing we just simply need to sell this house and move to another house. <laughs> so there's a lot of stories though where people, people have had things in their possession. I, I've, I've seen this several times now where somebody would come to get prayer or they would have something wrong. And, and I remember one story where a man of God was praying for a lady and, and, she, and she was having struggles and he said, well, what is that you're wearing? And she said, well, this necklace, and it ended up being something she didn't need to have, if something occult or whatever. He said, well, listen, I'll pray for you. Take that thing off. She took it off and got, you know, God healed her after that. See, there's sometimes there's something. What does the Bible say? Don't bring cursed objects into your possession because what? Like them, you'll be, it brings a curse. Once you get rid of it, the curse can be removed, and then the blessings of God can flow, you see. I would also say a couple more things tonight. Um, be careful who lays hands on you and who you lay hands on. If I don't feel led to pray for somebody, I don't. It's not necessarily that there's always something wrong with them. I'm not saying that. Sometimes I just try to do this. What God tells me to do, I do it. And what he doesn't tell me to do, I don't. And how many knows I just li- that's just a simple life, and I think that's just wisdom. So, I mean, I, if I don't feel led to pray for somebody, it's just simply that I don't. They may be the most spiritual person in the world. Maybe they just don't need my prayer. Maybe they could pray for me that night, right? So it's not that there, there's something wrong with them. I'm just trying to be led by the Spirit. But there are people that if you lay hands on them, it's not good. And I've prayed with people sometimes in deliverance and got home and felt really unclean, and I had to pray that God could just cleanse me from their pollution. And vice versa, you better be careful who lays hands on you. Is there some pretty ungodly people out there? Not only that, but some people that are Christians, but they're just not people that need to be laying hands on you. So that's why we, we screen it. We always have. We screen who lays hands on people, who teaches, and who's going to go around prophesying over people. And I've, I've shut down a few people. My wife will tell you. Um, you know, that we're going to go around supposedly prophesying over people. And I knew it wasn't God. And I told them to quit it. And they got mad at me. But I'm still, they quit it because I wasn't going to put up with it. So you can't just have a free-for-all. A lot of the problems in a lot of places that are kind of revival places is because sometimes in some places it's a free-for-all. And because of it being a free-for-all, you have the good you have the bad, and you have the ugly. But if you would screen it and be selective, the people you know are the ones praying for people. People you know have good doctrine are the ones teaching. People that you know are, the, are accurate and good are flowing in the gifts like the prophetic. Man, that makes it a safe place, doesn't it? You see? And so I believe that's wisdom. Also, be careful that any time you ever enter a battle of any kind, that you are led by the Spirit to do so. Did y'all hear me? See, I, I believe that you feel the same way, 
I don't want to go into any battle, even if it's little, unless I know that the Lord is with me and gone before me. You see? And remember the story of Joshua 7 with the city of Ai. God told Joshua, I'm going to give you Jericho, told him how to do it. But then Joshua, they were sent in the camp. Remember, Achan took the gold and stuff. And so they were sent in the camp. So Joshua, the last command he heard was, go and conquer Canaan. So he just goes to the next city. Here comes Ai's next. Here we go. And they go and fight a much smaller group of people, and Israel ends up being defeated by a far inferior enemy. And do you remember the story also when Moses told the children of Israel, he said, look, you guys, if I could paraphrase it, you guys have managed to just tick God off. Here you are these 10 times you've tested God. Now God's angry with you, and he is not going to send you into the promised land until 40 years later. And they said, well, God, we're sorry. And then they got up and they tried to go to war. You remember that? And Moses tried to tell them, God isn't with you guys. This is a, here here they're still going, this is a mistake. (laughs) Don't go. That's what they were hearing all the way out. And here they go. And you know what? They went out there and they got whipped bad. We want to make sure that when we go to battle, God is with, with us and gone before us. Amen. Also, the extreme importance of being under a covering. We're living in a time that rebellion is rampant, probably like no other time. And I mean, it's bad. And so a lot of people don't submit to authority. They don't go to church. They don't come up under a covering. And they're vulnerable. They really are. That's, you know, whatever. I mean, it, the Bible's clear about this one. You need to not forsake assembling yourselves together. You need to hear from God where you go. And if you've really heard from God, you need to go there and you need to submit to that covering and be under that covering. And I am so thankful that we have the wonderful covering over us that we do. People that love you and pray for you. Let me tell you this too, is there's a lot of people that kind of just are part of different, whether it be denominations, fellowships, whatever you, whatever. You need to make sure that you have a covering that is for you and praying for you and blessing you. The worst thing you could possibly have is a covering that is negative towards you and speaking against you. Also in the Bible, let me just give a couple warnings. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, touch not the unclean. You know, come out from among them, be separate, be holy. Don't touch the unclean. So be careful about handling things that are defiled and polluted spiritually. There was many stories like this, but um, this also goes with kind of going on satanic property. Just use wisdom where you go and all of that and, and be pray about it because I remember a story, Kenneth Hagin. Now, I love Brother Kenneth Hagin, man. He's got some awesome stories. But he was saying one time that him and his family went to, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Dome of the Rock, okay? And they were there as tourists or whatever. But he went into this Islamic area, you know. And how many knows the, the Principality of Islam, the Prince of Persia and all that? It was a satanic thing. And went up in there, it was like a tourist thing going through. And he felt the presence and the power of that evil that was there from the Islam, etc., 
And he said this. He said, my son, some kind of a spiritual force hit his son and threw him backward on the ground. And he said it was so, it, the force was so strong that it knocked him out of his shoes. He was over there and his two shoes were right here. And so he prayed for his son and, and God raised him up. But his, his story, the point of the story was just be careful about where you're going. Because when you go into places that you're trespassing into satanic territory, just be aware that you're going in there trespassing in satanic territory. Be careful. Because how many knows that there's spirits in those places? There's principalities, there's powers, there's wickedness in high places, there's ruling spirits over that landmass or over that building that by you coming in there, they're, they're angry. They're, they're ticked off that you have the nerve to come into their place, you see. Now, if God leads you to go in there to pray or whatever, God's going to give you victory. But, but just be wise about where you go because it can spiritually try to affect you. There have been several stories, several. I personally know some people that have come back from mission fields. They've gone overseas or whatever. This is common. And they went there not really, you know, churches do things to just be helpful. You know, they just want to be helpful. So they, they raise money and just go. They don't really consider many times that they are going into a full-on war, that they're invading territory of a principality and powers and wickedness in high places that, that hates them and is very much upset that they have the nerve to come into that property there and to win souls. And there have been many, not a few, many stories of people coming back and they've had a lot of problems come back with them. Why? Because of the spiritual warfare, the curses that have been leveled against them and the things that have tried to attach itself to them and follow them back. It was a godly Christian lady, loved Jesus, ended up going to the Far East, came back, was really affected and her pastor and others began to pray for her, and there was a spirit associated with the dragon that fled from her, but it attached and followed her home. So use wisdom. Be smart about these things. Okay, when we do things and we go places, when you go into certain areas of Dallas or whatever, I mean, don't, I'm sure that you feel this way, but don't you think if you're going there to witness that you're going into spiritual warfare? Think about it for a minute. There are spiritual forces in the heavens and in that area and in those people's lives that resent you bringing the gospel there. So you need to be prayed up and aware of what you're doing, but aware that you're going into a war, okay? Be led by the Spirit. Any battle that we go into, we need to be led by the Spirit into that battle. Be careful about handling the unclean. There was a story about a guy that, um, and I've heard other stories like this, but I'll give one. A guy that came upon an altar that some Satanist or whatever had obviously kind of built up and did some sacrifice, some animals and things there. There was still like some paraphernalia. And he just kind of goes there and he just kicks the thing over and starts taking authority and goes home. But then he got deathly sick and really begin to deal with some warfare coming against him. You need to be wise and be led by the Spirit. You don't just flippantly do that. You see, it invoked warfare. Now he really prayed, had some other people pray. It lifted. He ended up being okay. But I'm just saying 
that you need to be led by the Spirit because when you did that, something like that, you've just kind of stuck your thumb in the eye of the spirits that are associated with that. And they resent you, and they're going to try to attack. Be led by the Lord. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Be careful of the things that you touch and handle because there's a defilement sometimes about it. How many have ever been somewhere, been around somebody, been maybe in a location or handled something or been around something, and when you got home, you felt like something kind of defiled about it? How many have felt that? Because I have. And then you had to pray and ask God to wash you from that defilement. It's not that you did anything sinful. It's just that being around things, touching certain things, being around certain people, etc., brings a defilement. So be careful trespassing on satanic ground and situational curses. Sometimes going into things. Uh, you know, you go to other countries. People sometimes don't realize what they're getting into. And you can find yourself in situations that there's something affecting you and you don't know why, but it's maybe associated with their demon gods, associated with that region, etc. It's a situation you find yourself in that something is affecting you, and it's like a, you, a situational curse, if you will, from that area. But you can break that off and command it to leave. I'm just saying be aware of it. And I remember there was one more quick story. This might be in a book I just recently gave some of you guys, but there was a missionary young man and woman that went to Africa, and the local witch doctor like gave out these little bracelets and stuff, and it was a sign of goodwill to accept it. Well, the young lady ended up getting deathly sick, and actually, the doctor said that she was dying, and her husband her hadn't even been married very long, and he was brokenhearted and was asking for prayer, etc., etc. Long and short of the story, the minister that was ministering was like, well, what is that bracelet you want? She said, well, the witch doctor here gave it to everybody. It's a sign of goodwill to wear it or whatever, to be at peace. And the, the minister was like, are you kidding me? He said, that guy doesn't have any of your goodwill intentions. And he said, you need to take that thing off. Did you know the doctors have given this girl up to death and she was on a deathbed and she took that thing off and got rid of that cursed object? Did you know when they prayed for her, she made a miraculous recovery after that? Just use wisdom. Where you're at, what you're doing, what are you touching? Be careful about the company you keep. And let me just close out real quick. I'm going to just read over this, and then we're going to pray. All right. Briefly about the world of the occult. The word occult means hidden. The reason why many times people look into the occult is because they want some kind of a hidden knowledge or power that other people don't have. So there is an element of pride in that, to have power over others, knowledge, esoteric knowledge others don't have. There's also an element of rebellion associated with it. But many times as well, this spiritual darkness, there's an iniquity, kind of a spiritual lust, if you will, sometimes in people that draws them toward this darkness. And it can go back generationally. But the occult has three basic branches. The witchcraft branch of the occult is the power branch. And witchcraft, in essence, is just to control people. 
So whether it be a Jezebel spirit trying to manipulate, intimidate, control, or it's the dark arts using incantations and rituals to try to control others, witchcraft is a power about it that exerts control over others. And just like, for example, we're all pretty familiar with this, whether it be in Africa, whether it be among the Native Americans, whether it be in Hawaii, wherever it is, Everybody is pretty familiar that around the world, this goes back to the Tower of Babel, if you look back in ancient ethnicities, you see that almost all of them have some kind of common denominators, whether they have some kind of a spiritual guru leader that's either a medicine man, a shaman, witch doctor, whatever, and their religion of sorts has something to do with this. How many of them do you see that they get those incantation drumbeats? And they begin to dance around the fire. And what are they doing? Like the prophets of Baal, remember dancing around trying to shed blood or what? They're trying to summon spirits. And also through that, put a curse on their enemies. Do you see? And so witchcraft is the dark arts, and I'm not going to say much more about it. But people that practice witchcraft have learned through different types of rituals, different types of incantations, etc., bloodshed they've learned to release a power over others to control them either to destroy them or whatever but it is release evil spirits to affect them also the second branch of the occult is divination and divination and or necromancy necromancy is just consulting the dead so divination in general is seeking information and so that's why people that have like a Jezebel spirit also usually have a divination spirit about them. But divination is Python in the Bible. And what Python is, this is a spirit. Divination has to do with going to fortune tellers, psychics, clairvoyance, maybe practicing that, whatever. It's seeking information. They learn to use diviner's rods. They, they try to read the zodiac, the stars, they try to read palms. They, you know, take things like bones and runes and different tea leaves or whatever to put them and read them. It's to get illegitimate information from a demonic source. So it's information. And if it's necromancy in general, it's, you know, holding hands in a circle doing a seance, but somehow trying to communicate and receive information from demonic spirits. Even though they won't say it's demons, you better believe it is. And then the third branch of the occult is sorcery. This is the material branch. A witch doctor may give some kind of a potion for somebody to drink. Again, like I mentioned earlier, people may wear certain things, carry certain things with them, have certain possessions in their home, whether it be a rod, a staff, and some kind of a, you know, an image, an idol, but it's supposed to bring them some type of power, luck. Um, you know, you're dealing with perverse stuff. I mean, we're all adults, but they may feel like that it, it makes them more sexually appealing or it will ca it cause them to be able to seduce other people. But also that maybe it's supposed to cause them to get wealthy but that's the goal. And so these are the different branches of the occult. 
If you want to find what does the Bible say will bring a curse, here's some things that will bring curses and evil spirits. Any type of practicing or involvement in the occult. Also, worshiping other gods or bowing down to graven images. Sexual sins of any kind. Participating in bloodshed and broken vows, including any type of vows. They could be marital vows, whatever, but breaking vows, breaking covenants. These things, there's others, but this is basically how do curses come? How do evil spirits enter people? These are some of the ways that they come. People also open themselves up because sorcery also has to do with drugs. Did you know that? Did you know drugs in the Bible, uh, the word for sorcery is pharmakeia, where we get the word pharmacy from, it has to do with drugs. That's why people that do all these drugs and they get high, etc. that's why you see like the Native Americans and the, and the peyote and, and all that, why? To get in that mystical realm through drugs where they can commune with the spirit realm. But people don't even really realize what they're doing. They're getting high on all these drugs. They're opening themselves up to things. People that have researched this have said that even in drug-induced parties where people were shooting up and everybody was high, they said that collectively they have found that they all would see and experience something as though it was real. It didn't actually happen, but everybody individually without talking to each other saw the same thing and experienced the same thing. How does that happen except that they all were seeing something in the spirit realm, you see? They open themselves up through drugs. So how do we get rid of curses? And we're about to pray. Y'all ready? How do we get rid of curses? Proverbs 26, 2, as I've mentioned throughout this series, like a sparrow in its fluttering, like a swallow when it's flying, a curse by cause cannot rest. So a curse has to have a reason. Once you get rid of the reason, then you can get rid of the curse. If it came in through an object, if it came in through something worn, if it, it, then you can get rid of it. If it's in your life because of a sin you committed, then you can repent of the sin and remove the curse. If it came in generationally because of the sins of ancestors, you can repent of that and remove the curse. But you have to get rid of the legal ground. And so cancel the legal ground and drive it out. Now, this is the basic, what we talked about last week. You have to recognize there's a problem repent, renounce it, and then resist it. That's driving it out, okay? And so we're going to close with a prayer. And that was going to have my dad come. Listen, Derek Prince said one of the most powerful things that can happen to somebody outside of accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior is to have a father speak a blessing, put a blessing on them. Most people have never had that, at least in America. It's uncommon. And not only that, but there are many that say, well, my dad, for whatever reason, maybe he's deceased, maybe they're estranged from him, maybe they've been adopted, whatever the reason is, they don't really feel that they have a father, some kind of a male authority figure that can put a blessing on them as a father. And so I want to say that my father is going to stand in proxy and he's going to release a blessing. Will y'all receive that tonight? That's powerful. Listen, when he's done this, it's been so powerful. I've had, there's more than one minister that's been here. In fact, Benny Baker was one of them. He said, man, I really felt that, that effect, because Benny grew up without a dad. 
And he said, I felt that there was something missing there, but I didn't know what it was until your father put the father's blessing. He said, now I feel different, that that missing void is now complete. And I've had that from other people say things. Like Brother Sergio Scataglini was with us, and, and I had dad just speak of father's blessing over those there. He said, man, I, he said, that was powerful. I felt that. So there's something to it. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And how many will just simply release your faith with me? I'm going to lead you in a prayer to release you from a curse, number one. So we're going to believe that the, any curse is just pulled off you. And then I'm going to stand here with my dad, and we're going to release a blessing that's going to go into your life and be imparted tonight. And then those that are present, I'm going to go through and lay hands here in a moment. And those that want prayer, I'm going to believe for an impartation of a blessing. So if you're listening to this, you're watching this, let me just tell you that if you'll just release your faith, you're going to receive it just as though you were here. That just as I said earlier, and I've gone through this series, a blessing can be imparted through words. So it's going to go right through this recording to you wherever you are. Maybe you need to stop and pause this for a moment, really pray and get ready and receive it. But I want you to pray this to be released from any curse. Everybody, if you want to pray this, I want you to pray it like you mean it and pray it out loud. Those that are watching and listening, I want you to join with me. But we're going to pray this together. And I want you to say this out loud because your words have power. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Son of God. The only way to God that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And that on the cross, you were made sin with my sinfulness. That I am made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And also, you are made a curse with any curse that would affect me. So that I can be delivered and blessed with the blessings given to Abraham. Now, Lord, I come to you for deliverance from any curse. I repent from all the sins, the iniquity that's been in my life and in my family bloodline. And I receive your forgiveness and I take a stand against the devil, all of his pressures, and everything he has against me. In Jesus' name, I submit unto God, and I resist the devil, and he must flee. So in the name of Jesus, right now, I release myself from every curse that's been over my life, whether generational, things spoken by myself or others, or from my past sins, I release every curse off me, and I command it to leave me in the name of Jesus and never return. And so, Lord, I thank you I receive that freedom now, and I praise you. I believe you are faithful 
and that you're doing what I've asked. And I'm free now from any curse. And so I command any evil spirit that's been at work in my life because of curses to be bound and leave me and my family right now and forever in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for your mighty angels sweeping all this out that I am free in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all just praise him for me. Lord, we thank you for freedom tonight and breakthrough, release. And Lord, we agree together for that right now. And Lord, we just agree collectively in Jesus' name. Every curse is released. Everything of the enemy out in Jesus' name. Freedom, breakthrough in this place. Now I want my father to come. I'm going to stand here with him. And we're going to release together a father's blessing. Let's make sure this is on as well. And I want y'all to receive this tonight. This is powerful. I've seen people actually, I saw one guy as he spoke this blessing, like get delivered. It was powerful. God just set him free. This is an awesome thing. So wherever you're tonight, wherever you are tonight, you maybe you're driving, whatever, receive this, okay? The Lord bless you men to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, and women to be as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. I bless you with a long, healthy life. No sickness or disease will come near you, and you will live in perfect health. I bless you with financial prosperity and abundance. May the works of your hands be blessed and prosperous, and you be successful in all things. And as the Bible says, may you be the head, not the tail, the top, not the bottom. May you have the ability to gain wealth and have durable riches on all that you own. May every place the soles of your feet thread, God give you victory. I bless you that the angels of the Lord will continually be with you to minister to you and to protect you. And God always give you victory over Satan's kingdom and all things. May you have peace and favor with all people and complete victory over all your enemies. I bless your marriage, your family, and all relationships to be filled with peace. May they be wonderful, satisfying, and fulfilling for you. May your home be a place of God's peace in His presence and the sounds of joy and laughter be heard in them and unconditional love be consistent in them. May you and your spouse be godly and virtuous in all ways. May all your children go up godly and bring honor to your family name. May you enjoy your children and the honor, obey, and respect you. May you have mental and emotional health and well-being as you live a righteous life before the Lord. And God give you the grace to forgive everyone from the heart. I bless your night's rest to be sweet in God's presence. May you continually walk in the fullness of the freedom, victory, and the dominion that Jesus paid for you to have at the cross. May you have clear direction, leading of the Holy Spirit, wisdom from the Lord, spiritual discernment, a controlled and disciplined life, courage, faithfulness, boldness, peace, happiness, fulfillment, contentment, hope, and a good outlook on life, a listening ear to God, knowledge of God's Word, and a beating heart to God's Word, a pleasant personality, Pleasant speech, protection, provision, safety, and assurance of God's love and grace. Strength and the grace to live a righteous life and succeed in all things. May the Lord make and keep you healthy and strong, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. May any weakness in your life become a strength in Christ. And as the Bible declares for you, may the blessings of Abraham, every spiritual blessing in Christ, the promises of God be yours. 
May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life, and you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and lift his countenance upon you and establish your life in his peace and manifest presence. So now may these blessings come upon you and your family and your descendants. I bless you now in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Just say this out loud. Lord, I receive that. In Jesus' name. It's on my life. From this day forward, I thank you for him. In Jesus' mighty name. I've, I felt the anointing up here when he was doing that. Wow. And so we're going to put on some worship. If you want prayer tonight, intercessors, when you get prayer, I want you to begin to pray, and we're going to spend a few minutes.